0: Welcome to Morning Ireland Extra with me, Lisa Pereira. Every day, our reporters gather material for stories that we then broadcast on our daily Morning Ireland radio programme. This podcast brings you deeper into those stories. that opening
1: <coughs> I don't have a cough
0: okay <laughs> yeah. you feel like a criminal if you cough it's kind of um,
1: if... you know I do that before I start talking on the radio because I don't know it's just a habit I have <laughs> okay so.
0: Kian I suppose with the times we're in it now I better start asking you how are you and how's the family
1: great Lisa so, you know like everyone else we're um Following the rules, I'm actually just back in the door. I ran up the stairs to my attic to have this conversation with you. I've been out for a brief exercise, pushing the pram, trying to get my 10-month-old to sleep, walking the dog and also working for another radio programme, just making calls and editing material on my phone. And that's kind of my daily life. Get up early, record interviews, go for a brief walk, work while I'm walking, come back, hand the child over to my partner who is also working from home and I'm constantly washing my hands. So I get up early in the morning, wash them. And actually before this, I don't think I was washing my hands properly.
0: (laughs) Well, Funnily enough, I think we're all, probably none of us was really washing them properly because now I think we're washing our hands to hospital grade. But you've been working a lot lately on how COVID-19 is affecting kind of the daily things that we do. And one of the issues that has come up is... What do you do when you go to the supermarket?
1: Mm. Or what do you do when you get back from the supermarket? You know, really the starting point on this, Lisa, for me was this booklet that arrived to my email and it was called A Quick Guide to Safe Shopping during the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. hit my email during the week, ping into my inbox and I found it very interesting. It kind of hit at everything I wanted to know myself because... I was arriving in maybe with um, tins of tomatoes, non-peritables, uh, vegetables. I was trying to figure out what exactly I should do. Should I clean them should, before I put them into my shelves? And I came up with this system myself where I dedicated my front small bathroom to anything that was coming into the house, a quarantine room and beside it I have a little box called a quarantine box where I put my mobile phone in my keys in and I'll just swab them down uh, before I wash my hands when I arrive into the house now I was thinking to myself, is this over the top? And then I got this email from the Irish Global Health Network saying, well, these are guidelines. If you're in a supermarket, supermarkets are high-risk sites of infection from the coronavirus. And I read down through the booklet, and it's about four pages long. The advice, of course, generally was wash your hands, wipe down your shopping when you get home. And I could really get a feeling that I was learning something here. So... I decided to contact that group and I happened upon an environmental health specialist called Niall Roach and I gave Niall a call. He's um, a member of the Irish Global Health Network and an adjunct assistant professor at the Centre for Global Health at Trinity College in Dublin and I had a full conversation with him.
2: Uh, Niall Roach, I'm a wash, water sanitation and hygiene environmental health specialist and assistant adjunct professor at Trinity College in Dublin.
1: Who are you talking on behalf of today?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking on behalf of the general public. Uh, I, I, I am a son, I am a father, I'm a husband, I'm a brother, I'm a brother-in-law and I'm a son-in-law. My parents are approaching their 80s, uh, my mother-in-law is 86 and I'm anxious for them. So I'm speaking on their behalf. But I'm also speaking on behalf of the Irish Global Health Network, of which I am a member and a board member. But I'm also a member of the Environmental Health Association of Ireland.
1: So what specifically are you concerned about then?
2: Uh, Well, I'm concerned about the kind of the hygiene standards within supermarkets. Uh, Initially, when this all kicked off a couple of weeks ago, I went to my local supermarket and I was quite shocked at the level of overcrowding within the supermarket. And we've been advised to do social distancing I spoke to the manager to ask about what guidelines were going on in his particular supermarket and I didn't get a sense that there was a strong level of guidance uh, within that particular store as to what was to be done in order to protect us as shoppers, to protect me as an individual and to protect the staff within the supermarket.
1: But what was it about that day that caught your attention? What were you so concerned about? Did you see something and you went, oh God, that shouldn't be happening? (laughs)
2: well I was concerned when you see you you heard about hard surfaces and you look at the supermarket trolleys and the baskets and you're kind of expecting that there might be a staff member there who maybe has a disinfectant spray and they're wiping down the trolleys or wiping down the baskets I didn't see that I just get panicked about seeing bread on open display without covers uh seeing shop uh, shop floor staff three of them bunched together stacking the shelves together when ideally they should be socially distant uh, they're the kind of things that were kind of sparking alarm in myself well
1: i'm looking at a quick guide to safe shopping that has been published by your group what are the main guidelines in this
2: yeah this is a a quick guide to safe shopping during the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic. It's been published there just a couple of days ago by ourselves, the Irish Global Health Network, but also the Environmental Health Association of Ireland and also the Chartered Institute of Environmental Health in the UK. And I like to think it's a very practical guidance in terms of what we can do in the home. Maybe you might want to print it off and have it behind your beside your shopping list and just use it to think about what you might do either before shopping making a decision about whether you actually should go shopping or who you're shopping for, then what you might be looking out for in the supermarket itself, for example, what you should be doing during shopping and what you might be doing after shopping.
1: There are some useful tips in this, Niall, starting with your hands. Yes. (laughs) Might explain that.
2: Yeah, well, I think we're all hearing the message at the moment that we need to wash our hands. So ideally for me, before you go shopping, wash your hands and then if you're trying to in- entering the supermarket as well make sure that your hands are as clean as possible if you have a hand sanitizer or there are hand sanitizers made available by the supermarket then wash your hands before you go into the supermarket and then again making sure you wash your hands on exit from the supermarket or as soon as you get home
1: and of course deciding which hand to use
2: Yes, yeah, so I think uh, practically for me, I'm I'm a person who tends to touch my nose and mouth and I'm always itching my nose, maybe picking my nose. Uh, so trying to use your non-dominant hand to just to pick the goods up, fr- up with and put it into your shopping basket or your trolley, or even if your own shopping bags yourselves to avoid yourself having to touch a trolley or a basket. So then if your hand is contaminated, you're not likely to be using that to be scratching your nose or your eyes.
1: What is the capacity for the virus to live on different surfaces, whether it's hard plastic surfaces, metal surfaces, cardboard surfaces? Do we have any rough indication? Should we really be concerned?
2: Um, Yeah, I think that the information we have so far, and I was listening to another uh, contributor on Sean O'Rourke yesterday morning, and I think the advice is that it can last for up to 72 hours on, on hard surfaces such as plastic, maybe on cardboard because it's a softer surface, maybe up to 24 hours. I think we're still trying to get to know, to understand this virus, but that's the current information that we have. So for our guidelines, we do date it and say that this is the current information we have. And as we learn more and more, we will try and update these particular guidelines.
1: But for all of your concerns, supermarkets have made efforts. They've imposed physical distancing. Numbers have been reduced in relation to the numbers of people in stores. There is plastic perspex uh, in particular parts of the store as well. So efforts are being made.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's very important to stress. Yeah, so initially I was appalled uh, in my own local, local supermarket. I actually made a decision to shop in other supermarkets in the meantime. I actually went back two or three days ago back to my local supermarket and I was quite impressed with the changes that have been implemented since. Yeah, so the sneeze shields are up at the checkout counters, strong markings in terms of social distancing, messages over the audio system to help you to maintain, to remind you to maintain your social distance. There were spray bottles at the doors to help you to disinfect your trolleys and baskets as you are going in, though. Maybe still a little bit not keeping up to standard by, by having those bottles filled and having hand sanitized. But they have improved a lot. And just I want to stress also that I know environmental health officers, because I'm I'm an environmental health officer by background. I know they've been going around and supporting supermarkets and advising them on infection control measures that they can take, and I know the supermarkets have been responding.
1: Now, I do have to ask, are you being slightly over the top here?
2: Maybe I am being slightly over the top, but I think always err on the side of caution. Um, The motto of environmental health is that prevention is better than cure, and that anything we can do to limit our risk now, I don't want to create any anxiety. I think one of the purposes of these guidelines is not to create anxiety in the general population or the general public, but is to give us some practical, very simple, non-technical guidance about what we can practically do to minimise our risk to ourselves as individuals, what we can do to minimise the risk to other shoppers, and also critically to minimise the risk to those frontline staff who are working in these shops and helping to keep our food in our houses.
1: On a personal level... How do I bring groceries into my house and feel safe about it? If what you're saying is correct, that the coronavirus is a threat because potentially it lives on surfaces of items that we're buying.
2: Yeah, no, I was listening. To, I'm not a virologist, as you know, but I was listening to a virologist, of Sean O'Rourke, yesterday, and she was saying that the the risk is very low on these packaged goods. And she personally was not uh, wiping down the packaging. But if you want, to, you could uh, engage in that kind of practice yourself. You may leave some perishable or non-perishable goods or perishable goods uh, into the home and leave some of your canned goods in the car for seventy-two hours if you feel like doing that, uh, and then washing down some of your your products inside the house. But the risk, the risk, as far as I know, is quite low uh, when you're bringing your your shopping into the house.
1: You have guidelines for during shopping, which we've talked about, but you also have after-shopping guidelines. What are they?
2: Yeah, well, the first thing about after-shopping, the first most important thing is that you wash your hands immediately after you return home. Uh, You may also be shopping for a vulnerable person, and you should leave that shopping on the doorstep, ring the bell or phone them, and then stand back and let them collect it at a safe distance from you. When you're bringing your shopping inside your own household, uh, you might want to clear a designated area for your shopping, disinfect that area, wipe it down, and then stack your goods there in your shelves. And then after you're done your, your stacking, you can wash your hands again.
1: Would you clean off the surfaces of the individual items?
2: You may possibly want to do that. Uh, my understanding is that the risk is very low. If, for example, you're maybe buying packaged uh, products like carrots in a bag... You may want to take the carrots out of the bag, not touching the carrots or not t- touching the outer covers of a yogurt packet, for example. Put them in your bin, wash your hands, and then that you know that the products that you have have not been handled or touched. But you might, you may use an antiseptic on some, on some packaging that you're going to have to be touching. But it's not, uh, as I said, the risk is still regarded as low.
1: Where can I get my hands on these guidelines?
2: Yes, you can get them by visiting the Irish Global Health Network website. It's globalhealth.ie slash COVID-19 and you'll find those guidelines there. You should also be able to find them through the Environmental Health Association of Ireland website and also the Chartered Institute of Environmental Health in the UK.
1: You're talking to me today in your capacity as a member of the Irish Global Health Network. What is that?
2: Uh, The Irish Global Health Network is a network of maybe a thousand people, mostly in Ireland, though we are all around the world, and we have an interest in global health issues. We focus a lot on low and middle income countries, but in the context of sustainable development goals, we link at global and local issues. And part of our role is to connect and communicate about global health issues.
0: So Niall Roach there of the Irish Global Health Network, he was talking about the guidelines on what to do when you bring your groceries back from the supermarket. And interestingly enough, this actually came up already on our program. Um, if anybody was listening to a podcast, a Morning Ireland Extra podcast that we published last week, what happened there was that we asked listeners to send in their questions and we assembled a panel of experts to answer them. And that that podcast is available if you go through the Morning Ireland Extra feed. One of the questions that came up was precisely that. What do I do with my groceries when I come back from the supermarket? And one of the panelists, his name is Kingston Mills, and he's a professor of experimental immunology, he said that he and his wife had wondered the same thing. And he came to much the same conclusion that Niall Roach came to there, which is that, yes, they do take their plastic wrapping off when they come back from the supermarket. But um, ultimately, it's probably fairly low risk. So, Kian, have you taken on board then those recommendations from uh, Niall Roach?
1: Well, it's funny because I think I was doing, I don't think I was doing that beforehand. And uh, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, am I being over the top here? Am I a a clean freak, essentially? But uh, I think the main point here is really wash your hands. So it's down to good personal hygiene. But I wanted a second opinion in relation to, you know, how long can a virus live on a surface? I wanted a scientist to explain to me um, maybe the process of of what happened. So it brought me to a guy called Dylan H. Morris. He's a PhD candidate in ecology and evolutionary biology at Princeton University in the United States. And he has investigated how long COVID-19 can live on different surfaces. And his work was recently published in the New England Journal of Science. And that research really got me excited, not in a nerdy way, but in a way where I could have an understanding of what I was dealing with, because he's an expert in dynamics of viral spread. It's kind of dun, dun, dun. So I can hear you. What is that? Well, it's essentially he's an expert in what makes it harder or easier for a virus to get from one person to another uh, in a space.
3: Uh, so my name is Dylan H. Morris, and I'm a PhD candidate in ecology and evolutionary biology at Princeton.
1: So can you explain to me what that is?
3: So that means I have passed my qualifying exams for my doctorate, and now I'm just finishing my uh, PhD dissertation, and I will defend that sometime this summer. It looks like it'll be over Zoom, and then continue on to a postdoctoral position at UCLA in California.
1: Everyone in the world is talking about one virus at the moment, what is it?
3: So it's the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID, this pandemic that we're all experiencing and trying our best to combat and stem the tide of.
1: Your research looks at the dynamics of viral spread. What's that in layman's terms?
3: Well, essentially, what we try to understand is what makes it easier and harder for a virus to get from me to you if we're in the same room, because we, as much as possible, we'd like to make that as hard as possible for the virus, because the more we can make it harder for it, for it to get from me to you, the more protected you are if I get sick.
1: Of course, in Ireland, people are social distancing Some people are cocooned in their own homes if they're elderly or vulnerable. There's not a lockdown. It's not in the vocabulary of what we use here in Ireland. But people are being advised to stay at home unless they have essential duties to do like essential shopping or they're part of the emergency services or they can take a brief walk. So people are isolated from each other. But what about contact with surfaces? For instance, if someone goes shopping in a shop. How easy is it to pick COVID 19 up from a surface?
3: Well, so that's something that I've been involved in researching because with any new virus, you have, as this one is, it's a new virus, you have to figure out exactly how well it persists in the environment. And you may have heard some scary stories saying things like 17 days after the cruise ended, they saw virus on the cruise ship. When they say they saw virus, They don't really mean necessarily that they saw something that could have infected you or infected me. What they mean is they found the genetic material of the virus there. But an analogy I like to use for that is that's sort of like saying we were at the scene of the crime and we found a known criminal's fingerprints. Now that would tell us that the criminal was maybe there when the crime was committed, but it wouldn't mean that he was still there. And similarly, if we see the genetic material of the virus on a cruise ship 17 days after we know there was an outbreak. That doesn't mean that someone coming in there 17 days later would have been at risk of getting infected. It's sort of a sign that the virus was there at one point. So what you have to do is you have to do experiments to see how long the virus can remain in an infectious form on a surface. And that is what my collaborators at Rocky Mountain Labs and I set out to do. We experimentally contaminated surfaces in a safe lab environment with some virus. And then we came back at regular time intervals to see if the virus there was still infectious.
1: And what did you discover, firstly, in relation to harder materials like metals?
3: So the big takeaway uh, from our study is that on uh, things like steel and plastic, the virus has a half-life of six to eight hours which means that six to, if you put some virus there, six to eight hours later, half of it will be gone. After another six to eight hours, half of that will be gone. So a quarter of what was initially there will be left. After another six to eight hours, you'll have an eighth of what was initially there. And it's going to keep halving like that over time. So as you can see, whatever the initial risk was is going to get lower and lower every few hours. But that said, while six to eight hours, fortunately, it's not days, It's equally, it's not minutes. So you come by a steel surface maybe a couple hours after someone contaminated it with quite a lot of virus, there might be some risk there. And that's why it's very important, for example, that public surfaces like handrails and subway poles be regularly cleaned.
1: What about cardboards? There would be a lot of cardboard if someone is doing their shopping.
3: Yeah, and I know people are also very worried. I've heard a lot of people asking me, is it okay to get my Amazon packages? That's a question I get a lot. So with cardboard, uh, that was another surface we looked at. We see a shorter half-life than steel and plastic, sort of a half-life more around three to four hours, uh, which is still a little bit long enough to be a little scary, but unless your postal worker sneezed on the package right before they delivered it, I wouldn't be terrified. I should caution though, some people looked at our paper and saw that this new virus seems to do a lot better on cardboard than the virus we compared it to, which is SARS-1, the virus that caused the 2002, 2003 SARS outbreak. But as we say in the paper, we'd advise caution in interpreting that difference because our cardboard data was kind of the noisiest we had. It didn't have this clear pattern of decay over time that we could see for the other surfaces. One reason I think that might be is that it's a bit harder to actually sample cardboard than some of the other surfaces because it is this sort of absorbent fibrous material. Now, in a way though, that's kind of good because, and I should stress that this is also speculative, but that absorbent fibrousness might also mean that if you or I in an everyday situation come across some contaminated cardboard, it's gonna be harder for us to pick the virus back up off it than it would be from say, a steel surface.
1: And then other surfaces.
3: Yeah, plastics are a little, uh, are pretty comparable to steel. It lasts a little bit longer, but not, not ultra long. The, um, and then the other thing that everyone was sort of interested to see, I think, was we tested copper. And the virus doesn't do very well on copper. It has a half-life of uh, probably a bit less than an hour, way shorter than steel, And that surprised, I think, a lot of people uh, who saw our results. But it didn't actually surprise my colleagues because they'd chosen to include copper for a reason when they planned the experiment. And the reason they chose to include it is that it's been a known thing for a while that copper actually has virucidal properties. Viruses don't do really well on it. We think that has something to do with how copper ions react with the proteins on the surface of the virus. Uh, So, this is a I mean, now I start to get emails from people asking if they should, you know, coat their phone in copper. And I don't know if I would go that far myself, but it is a useful thing to know that some metals uh, are more virocidal than others. And I do think that some places they do try to make frequently touched metal objects like doorknobs out of virocidal metals for this reason.
1: So if somebody coughs within that space... How long can the particles exist with forests?
3: Well, and so that was the other part of our experiment that we wanted to understand. We, you may have seen that we studied how long the virus could persist as an aerosol. And this is another sort of tricky thing to communicate, because different people talk about aerosols and airborne virus, and they mean different things. So I'm always trying when I speak to people to sort of clear up what I mean when I say it. So a lot of viruses from measles to flu and including SARS-CoV-2 that's causing COVID, they're all airborne in the sense that one way to get sick is if someone breathes out some virus or sneezes out some virus or coughs out some virus and I'm right nearby and I inhale, that virus could get into my uh, nose or my upper respiratory tract and infect me. So it's airborne in that sense for sure. But the tricky point is when some people say airborne they mean something more than that they mean that you might be at risk from virus just kind of hanging in the air in a cloud in little particles long after somebody sneezed them out or coughed them out and it turns out that that's more of a risk for some viruses than others it's a big risk for measles and that's part of why measles is so easy to transmit and you know any kid who's not vaccinated is at pretty big risk for measles. But it's not a big risk for flu, even though in principle, we know that flu can be found in small uh, respiratory secretions, small little tiny aerosol sized things that people sneeze out or breathe out. And so far, the scientific consensus, and certainly what the WHO has been arguing, is that this virus looks more like flu in the sense that most of the transmission is happening when someone sneezes or coughs or breathes and someone else is right there. But I think I would offer a little more caution. I think we don't know enough yet to be conclusively ruling out that aerosols ever matter. We think they do. And we think they do in two important situations. We think they could be involved in rare super spreading events like the ones that happened for SARS-1. For example, there was a recent uh, report of a choir practice in Washington State, USA, where nobody was sick, to their knowledge, when they came there, and there are about 60 people practicing their singing together, and now there have been 45 cases, which suggests that maybe in the process some aerosolized virus was released and many people inhaled it. And then the other place where we think it might be a risk, besides these rare but important super-spreading events, is in hospital settings. Because there, uh, when we treat severe COVID, when our doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers treat severe COVID, they do medical procedures like intubation and ventilation that can create aerosolized virus from the patient and put it into the air. And so that's why it's so important that doctors and nurses and other medical staff have access to those uh, specialized protective equipment like the N95 masks because that'll protect them from aerosolized virus that's released during medical procedures. And so because of those risks of the super spreading and the medical procedures, that was why we wanted to study the aerosols. And what we saw, uh, essentially, is that the virus can stick around comparably long to SARS-1 for about a half-life of an hour. And that tells us that super spreading and hospital aerosols are a plausible risk And we should take precautions to prevent them.
1: Just finally, going back to the surfaces for people listening to my piece when I added everything together, a big Mm -hmm. part of it is about, you know, how people behave in a supermarket if they're shopping. But also afterwards, whether they should quarantine their items when they come in, when they bring them in from a shop or whether they're delivered from a shop, whether they should swab or rub them down before bringing them towards their kitchen. Is that just too much? Or should we just be a little bit more relaxed about it and just continue to wash our hands?
3: Well, we should certainly continue to wash our hands. That's for sure. As far as washing your uh, produce and everything like that, I mean, I would say everyone has their own personal level of risk. And I would encourage people to do whatever makes them feel most comfortable. Certainly anything that's going to get cooked. If you cook something the virus is gonna pr- struggle to do well. That's something we don't, we didn't really test in our study, but it's pretty known for all viruses that, you know, severe heat is a pretty good decontaminator when we're talking viruses. But no, if it makes you, it, it certainly can't hurt and it could absolutely help to just anything you're gonna eat raw, just wash it maybe a little more carefully than you normally would. You should always wash anything you're gonna eat raw anyway. And if it, And if it's not too much trouble, certainly can't hurt to just give it a slightly more aggressive scrub than you might have done in normal times.
1: And what about the packaging, the plastics, everything that covers the food, the cans, the tins? Do we need to take care of all of those as well?
3: I mean, it's again, it's a question of risk reduction. None of us, I think, can eliminate all the risk in our lives. But, you know, in particular, if you've been out in public and you wash your hands or if you've unwrapped something that was recently touched by someone else and thrown it away and then wash your hands again, yeah, it'll reduce risk a bit. Never reduces it to zero, but equally it's not going to be as high as if you didn't do that. And so I think for most people, and certainly what I do in my own day-to-day life, is I try to take reasonable risk reduction strategies. I know my risk isn't zero, but just what I can do that's not too much extra trouble, just to, you know, Be sensible and safe. And the other thing I would say, this is sort of, we've talked a lot about what we can do to protect ourselves, but a message I always try to get out when I talk to people about going out in public, really the biggest thing we can do, it's much easier for us to protect each other than for us to protect ourselves. And the thing I always advocate is wearing a face mask if you can make one. you shouldn't try to get a hold of those specialized masks because doctors and healthcare workers and nurses need them. But what you can do is wear any kind of improvised, there are patterns online if you're a handy craft person and want to make your own, or do you, improvised face mask, bandana, anything that covers your nose and mouth, that'll catch some of the virus particles that you might be putting into the environment if you're sick and don't know. And the key thing to know about this virus that some of your listeners probably already know, but some of them may not, is that one of the reasons it's hard to control is that there's asymptomatic transmission. That is, some people can spread the virus before they know they're sick, like whoever came to that choir practice not knowing they were sick and spread it to the other choir members. And so a good way, if you want to be a responsible citizen and protect uh, your fellow citizens, if you can go out in public when you have to go out in public and just wear some kind of face covering that covers your nose and mouth, then you'll be less likely to contaminate any surfaces. So someone else who comes along later won't be at risk when they touch that surface. You'll be less likely to sneeze on the bananas and contaminate the bananas at the at the supermarket. And the more people can do that, not only will we all be protecting each other. And so... When each of us comes home from the supermarket, we won't have to worry so much about washing our hands after we unwrap our, uh, unwrap our uh, shopping because we know that everyone else there at the supermarket had washed their hands before going, had worn a mask, and had, even if they were sick, put less virus out into the supermarket. So if we can all wash our hands and wear masks, we can protect each other better than any of us can individually protect themselves.
0: So that was Dylan H. Morris, and he is a PhD candidate in ecology and evolutionary biology at Princeton University. And he's talking there about wearing a mask. Now, the jury is still, well, it's not not that the jury is out in Ireland. The guidelines do not yet include wearing a mask when you go to the supermarket. That could change in the coming days but that's the way it is now isn't that right Cian?
1: Yeah we've seen different approaches in different countries but that's certainly the way it is in Ireland at the moment but I think the message is really clear on this um, the two people I've talked to about this they're saying wash your hands wash your hands wash your hands wash your hands now I have to say I'm washing my hands and they're getting quite sore um, I don't ha- know if hand cream, I, I think I'm
0: hand cream we have a big bucket of hand cream. In or our can house. you
1: recommend hand cream? Because I I don't really use it. But on a personal level, you know, I'm going to take this hard line approach to cleaning down my shopping. OK, like when I arrived in here for this interview, before I ran up the stairs, after I passed my pram, my child and my dog to my partner, I swabbed down my phone and I feel comfortable with that. I feel comfortable. Maybe it's over the top, maybe it's not. But I feel comfortable with the procedures that I'm putting in place for myself.
0: I don't think it's over the top. If it's what makes you feel safe, then that's perfect. Our sound engineer, by the way, Sheila Wheel, has just suggested you just get soap with moisturiser in it. So that, well, in terms I'm of using dry soap.
1: I don't know what it is. And the interesting <laughs> part about this, I've mentioned it earlier on, is that four weeks ago, I wasn't washing my hands properly, probably like most people in this country.
0: I'd say like most. now people. I
1: use uh, the bar of soap, backs of the hands, tops of the fingers, palms of the hands, thumbs, back of the hands. And I think I probably do it longer than the required 20 seconds.
0: Happy um, birthday. Also twice we have animals
1: again. in the house, so you, you need to do it <laughs> as well. But yeah, feel comfortable. Isn't that it, Lisa?
0: I think that's right. And follow the instructions of the HSC. Um, If you're in Ireland and if you're in another country listening to this, then the health authorities in whichever country you are living in or, of course, the World Health Organization has all the information as well. So, Kian, thanks a million for coming on our podcast today, the Morning Ireland uh, Extra podcast, and telling us about a question which I think a lot of people are asking themselves. A lot of people wonder about it. You went and did the research. So thank you very much for bringing that research to us. And keep safe. Uh, that that goes to you and your family, including your beautiful little daughter.
1: You too. Keep safe, Lisa. Keep safe, Sheila.
0: You've been listening to Morning Ireland Extra. It's a podcast where we go deeper into some of the stories you may have heard on our daily radio program. You can find that program, Morning Ireland, on RTE Radio 1, on the RTE Radio Player and on the RTE News Now app. I'm Lisa Pereira. Thanks for listening.